We set aside an entire month to worship Jesus. That's what we're doing. We worship him every week, but we celebrate his birth. And so some of you celebrate birthdays for a day. Some of you are like celebrate your birthday for a week. Uh, we give Jesus an entire month. Some of you don't celebrate your birthdays. You're a Grinch. You don't want to serve Jesus. You don't want to celebrate his birthday either. We're going to help that today. We are celebrating Jesus' birth this month. It is a celebration. I want us to see this. It's the most important birth in all of human history. And we're going to talk about the person and work of Jesus and why, is it, why it's so important. But uh, this is, Christmas should be a, a great celebration for, for Christians because the coming of our Savior, he, he, he came as clothed as a man to die in our place for our sins, to raise from the dead, to give us eternal life, to, to, to prepare for us a new heaven and a new earth where guess what? It's going to be joyful all the time, it, awesome and wonderful. And so we are tasting a little bit of that. This is why we have special treats out there. This is why we're doing baptisms today. Because we're celebrating new life in Christ Jesus. And so um, I'm excited to, to preach today. We, and I love the first service because uh, y'all are like the, the trial. Um, and uh, by trial, I mean the unedited version. Like it's the, it's the uncut. It's the good one, I think. Uh, the other service I like am in my head about like, man, did I say that right? Whatever. This is awesome service. So thank you for joining us at the nine. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, it's our gift to you. We love the Bible. It is about Jesus, and we have been studying uh, the book of Luke. We're, look, we're looking at the first two chapters of Luke throughout the Christmas season. The reason being is because uh, uh, the, these foretell the events surrounding Jesus' first coming. It also gives us a great anticipation for Jesus' second coming. Moreover, uh, Luke, why Luke? He was a, 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 a doctor, a medical doctor. He was like, so think about a guy whose career path was evidence-based reporting and practice. And so this guy wanted to create, we were told in the early early chapters of chapter one uh, of, of Luke, that he wanted to, uh, to do a study and, and give certainty and clarity to his friend, Theophilus, who was either struggling in his faith, new to his faith, or was not yet a Christian. And he wanted him to know that the things that, that are written in this book of Luke that he tells his friend are absolutely, certainly, historically accurate and true. Today we're looking at the virgin birth. And if you think about it for a medical doctor, he might have some questions. Like he's like, yeah, that's not possible. And so, like, he's like, if that's real, then, like, I really gonna, like, I need to figure that out. And if it is, then I'm going to include it. Like, I need people to know that a miracle happened, that God's real. Like, you know, the, the whole thing is real, real, real. And so that's what he is doing today, and that's what we'll see. And so let's, t let's start by looking at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Why? Because 700 years before Jesus' birth, this was written. 700 years before Jesus' birth, these words were written. It says in Isaiah 7, 14, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. What's the sign? Like, how will we know the Messiah is coming? What is the sign going to be? How will we know, like, detour, exit, left, exit right? What, how will we know? What is the sign? He says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So how will we know that the Messiah is coming? Well, it's going to be really clear. There's going to be a, a woman who's a virgin, and she's going to have a baby. Impossible. That's how you'll know. Like, it's pretty clear. Like, it's, it, it, if that happens, you know, like, wow, God's right. And like, it's, so, if he did, so this is why the virgin birth, and we'll talk about it at length today, is so important because if this didn't happen, like, like God's a liar, uh, and so 700 years before the birth of Jesus, he, it is prophesied that, that the Messiah would come through a virgin. She would, she would conceive and she would have a child. And his name, it says, shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I want us to see that big picture today, that God is with us. 
God is with us. So the story of Christmas, the story of Jesus' birth is God coming to dwell with us. Like with us, God with us. I want you to see that. And so God speaks this promise to his people about his coming. 700 years goes by. And, he's, and then finally he breaks through. And what, we're, what we begin to see that God breaks the silence. He's coming forward to talk to his people, reveal his people, to, to bring about the Messiah. But he's coming to dwell among us. I want us to see this, to dwell, to live among us. See, God doesn't uh, tell us that we must ascend to him, but he condescends and comes down to us. That's what was prophesied. So now the question is, Luke's going to be asking, like, did that happen? Did that happen? So here's his account. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 30. And I want us to see that now God not, doesn't just speak 700 years before Jesus, but he speaks in real time, bringing about the promises that he's, he, he's spoken even before uh, their time, and maybe even before our time, he still brings to bear in real time. He says it this way. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man who was named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So I want us to see this. God is outside of time, but he reveals himself and speaks to us in real time. It's important for us to see that. Uh, God it was there in the beginning. He'll also be there in the end, he, but he is outside of human time. What we understand is time, but we serve a relational God who, who intersects into our life, into our real time, into our domain, and, and reveals himself to us and speaks to us. And this is exactly what we see God doing. And I want us to see this because sometimes we view God as this, this distant God. He's outside of time, so he can't help us in real time. He's outside of time, so he doesn't care about what's going on in real time. He just cares about big picture stuff. He's not really cared about detail stuff. Well, he prophesied that a woman um, who was a virgin would bear a child. Pretty big detail, just saying. Like, he's a detail guy. He's a, he's a, he's a detail guy, and he, he enters into human history, and he speaks. Uh, uh, to, to, he's going to speak, and what we're going to see here, it's this particular time, the sixth month. Um, uh, six, the, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel shows up. We met Gabriel last week. Gabriel is, a, is an angel. He, is, uh, he, he also revealed himself to uh, uh, Elizabeth and told her that she who was barren would have a child as well. Um, and so the same, God, the same angel, Gabriel, is showing up to Mary, and he's, he's, he's speaking to her in real time. And I want us to see this, that God doesn't just sit back, and, and he's not like a guy just sitting back, reclining, reclining, watching TV, and just disinterested in what's going on around him. Like he, He's outside of time, but he's very present in real time. That means whatever you're going through right now, God cares about and is aware of and is paying attention to. That means whatever that, that happened in your past, he's aware about paying attention to and he cares. Whatever's coming in the future, like he's, he's, he's very aware and he, he's not just aware and, and seeing, but he, he enters into time and he is, quote, God with us, Emmanuel. And so this is what we, I want you to see. God sees you, he loves you, and he wants to speak to you in real time. And if you have a Bible, then you know that God has already spoken to you. And if you want a word from God, just open up the word of God and you'll get a word, you'll get to hear the voice of God every time. I jokingly sometimes say, if you really want to hear him, like, just turn on the audio version, like, of your, your online Bible. Like, you can hear God speak. Like, you're like, really? That sounds corny. Well, I don't know what accent he has, but, you know, you can pick. Like, you can. And you're like, that sounds like you're mocking. Read your Bible is what I'm trying to say. Like, read it. Read it. And it's God speaking to you. Some of you are like, I, 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 it just feels like it's written. God wants to talk to you. Open up his word and hear from him, a word from him. Occasionally, he'll use supernatural means like we see here, this angel showing up. 
But he always wants to speak to you. So every morning you can open up your Bible. Every, throughout the day, multiple times throughout the day, you can go to God's word, open it up, and you can get a word directly from God in real time. If you do that enough, and, you're, and that's a regular rhythm, you'll find out that he speaks in real time with real verses at particular moments and junctures all the time. And your ears and eyes become open and aware to it. And you see that God really does care for you. And he is really present. So many Christians forsake the word of God that, and we just see it as, a, as an exercise to maybe a checklist to do to be more holy. I read my Bible, therefore I am more like, I'm more holy. No, this is a relationship. God wants to speak to you. He loves you. So he shows up in the form of an angel or, or he sends his, his, his messenger, Gabriel. That's what angel means, messenger uh, or minister. He's gonna go speak to uh, these, this couple. Well, first he's gonna speak to uh, Mary. She, and it says they're from Galilee or in Nazareth. So this is, Galilee is the name of the city in the, in the region of Nazareth. This area, I want you to think Podunk Town. Like think West Texas, no one lives there. Like uh, just think about that's kind of what it is. And if you're from West Texas, not to offend you, but just know that you understand this better than most people. Like if there's like only stop signs and there's no stop lights, this is what I'm talking about. Like if you've ever been there, drive, you drive, just drive west. You'll, you'll see this. So, some of you need to go on a field trip this week and just experience what it's like to go to a town that like, no one knows about, that you don't even know is on the map. And so my, my great-grandmother grew up in a town, and we would go visit her every, um, every uh, uh, Christmas and, and holidays we'd, or in summer we'd, we'd see. It. And recently, my wife and I were like, I was telling her about the, the, this land and this population where my great-grandmother used to live. And we looked it up. It's not even, a, it's not even on the map. Like, it doesn't exist. It's like the nearest city. It's like a, a municipality of something, something, something. And it's like a bunch of land, but no people. Like, and I was like, oh, that's why we never saw it. That's why there's no gas stations. Like, there was nothing. That's, this is it. This is Nazareth. This is the region the, uh, of Nazareth. This is the city of Galilee. We're told later that, uh, that when, when Jesus is, is living, doing his ministry, people are like, wow, you came from Nazareth? Nothing good comes from Nazareth. I know many of you maybe didn't grow up in a small town like that small. Maybe you grew up in a town, though, that's unassuming. That if people heard the town you're from, they're like, oh, nothing good comes out of there. Or, or, or maybe it's just like you grew up in an area where there's a lot of crime. And you're like, yeah, nothing good comes out of my town because only bad comes out. We're like really good at producing, but just crime. Like it, this, I want you to think about this. This is not a great area. This is not the most prolific city. This is not the well-to-do the well or not here in, in Galilee, in Nazareth. But God cares about this woman who's there and this family that he's going to begin through this woman. And he intervenes and, and, and comes into real time and real place to speak to her. Like, why Nazareth? Why Mary? Why this woman? Well, because God wanted to. He wants to show us that it's not just about, he, he's, he's down for big cities. I need you to know this. See, God, this is not a knock on big cities in, in, in technology and advancement. The new heavens and the new earth that Jesus is building, it's going to be spectacular. He's a, he's a city builder. He loves cities. But here we see he chooses to come from the rural area to, to, to speak to a woman in Galilee, uh, in the city of Galilee in Nazareth, not a respected town. And it says that this, this Mary and Joseph, they are betrothed. Just think about, uh, we, use, we might use the term in our day, engagement. But it's more than the way we use the term engagement these days. A betrothal in this time period was taken so seriously, it was like a covenant. And so what would end up happening is while we, when, when you get engaged, you present typically, the guy p 
presents the ring to a woman and says, hey, will you marry me? She says yes, and like, we're like, quote, unquote, engaged, right? And it's just, when's the wedding day? And we just, and sometimes you go through counseling, premarital counseling, sometimes you do this or that, but like, it's just this ethereal period of time, correct? In our day, that's kind of how it is. For them, it was like, no, the parents were involved, uh, and they're like, all right, you're ready to be married. We discerned that it's your will, uh, it's God's will for you to be married to this guy, to this girl, and then what they did was, instead of exchanging rings, they did a whole ceremony for engagement, for betrothal. Um, they didn't sleep together, but they did come together, and they, they, they set themselves apart, and it was a covenant-type thing. They had a ceremony, and it was so serious that it, in order to dissolve the engagement, you had to get divorced. Like They weren't really married. No, no they, they weren't, but they were betrothed. It was serious. It wasn't like, we're going to use the engagement time to figure out, should we get married? It was like, no, we want to get married. God is in this, like, but we need to prepare you for marriage. This is why we use the language when a couple gets ma- engaged and we walk through premarital counseling here at the well, we oftentimes use the, the language of pr- preparation for marriage, not discernment for marriage. Like We want to prepare you for what God has already called you to. So this is a season of preparation in order to fulfill the thing that God has called you to, marriage. That's what's going on with Mary and Joseph. They're in that engagement betrothal period. Um, and so they've committed themselves to one another in, in such a way that it's binding to them in a very serious way. So much so that Joseph later, once he finds out Mary's pregnant, we're going to find out it's, she's conceived of the Holy Spirit. You know, God intervened. But dudes, that's not your first instinct to think like, oh, man. The woman I'm engaged to is pregnant. God must have shown up. Like, that's not his thought, right? Like, he's, he's like, no, some guy who wanted to be God showed up. Like, it, that's what he's thinking. He's like, who am I going to fight? I got to divorce this woman. Like, that's the language he uses. Uh, but then an angel shows up and calms him down. So that's the story of Joseph. But this betrothal is very seriously. It's a commitment. And so this is, what, this is where they're at. And so Mary and Joseph, these small-town folks, we will find out later that Joseph is a blue-collar carpenter. Uh, he's, so we just think blue-collar, hardworking, rural, farmland people. Uh, Mary is likely a teenager, maybe 14, 15, young, 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 young. He's young, they're young. Um, they're at the, the brink of starting their lives, careers, married together. And then right now, this is the context when Gabriel shows up. And what does he speak to her in real time? Verse 28, he says, he came to her and said, oh, gre- greetings, oh, favored one. The Lord is with you. I want you to see that again. The Lord is with you. Emmanuel, this God is with you. But she was greatly troubled, saying, uh, I, uh, she was greatly troubled and at the saying, try, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Like, okay, an angel showed up and he talked. What's going on here? Like, I live in Nazareth, in the region of Nazareth. I live in Galilee. What is going on? There's no, angels don't show up here. Why aren't we, they, the angel would show up in Jerusalem at the temple, but me, a little peasant, like farm girl, like what's going on? Gabriel shows up and speaks to her, calls her, O favored one. And, and, and she was greatly troubled. The angel continued, and he said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This is an awesome scene. Uh, Mary, a nobody from nowhere, God's messenger, the angel Gabriel, shows up, and she's a bit perplexed. She's like, This is a bit unusual. I pray all the time, and angels don't show up. You know, but, but he's here. He's speaking. And so she's trying to discern this, and the, and the angel says, don't be afraid, and, and you've found favor with God. He says these two important things. He talks about the favor she's had, and she, she ta- he talks about the, the fact that the Lord is with her. So I want us to see these things. The Lord is with you. 
That's what she says. Oh, the Lord is with you. This God shows up. He sees her. He sees her circumstance. He sees your age. He sees her background. She, she, he sees her socioeconomic status and says, hey, I want my son to, be, to come through your line and, and lineage. And so how many of you could, could use this type of encouragement, not that you would be, uh, have another child per se, but, uh, but that God would be with you? Like, who cares what the news is as long as God's with you? That's like how the Christian should feel. Whatever the news is, I need to know, God, you're with me. That's what I need to know. If it's great news, awesome, I need to know you're with me. If it's not so great news, it's awesome, I need to know you're with me. If it's impossible news, like this, I need to know you're with me. And so she's encouraged. God is with her. Christian, I need you to know this. If you are a Christian, you know, love, and trust Jesus, here's the truth. God is with you. Not just theoretically, not just because you've gathered to church, but like God is with you always, even to the end of the age. You know who said that? Jesus in the Great Commission. We get the first part that we're to make dedicated disciples, we're to make disciples of all nations, we're to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which we're going to get to celebrate today. And we're going to teach one another to observe and obey all that Christ has command. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And then what? The promise that he will be with you always. Always. We have this promise that our king is with us. So whatever you're going through right now, God is with you. Whatever you're feeling right now, God is with you. You're feeling anger? God is with you. You're feeling hatred, which is sinful. God is with you. You're, if you're feeling like pride, God is with you. I need you to see this. Like God isn't so afraid of your sin that when you, when you, when you start to uh, experience sinful desires or, or lust or, or passions that he goes, oh, I got to remove myself from them because, you know, uh, that's dirty. I, no, he's already paid for your past, present, and future sins. So he's with you always, no matter what. The good days, the bad days, the hard days, and the, and the refreshing renewal days, he is with you. Whatever you're feeling right now, whatever you're thinking, whatever you're walking through, whatever you're hoping for, whatever you need, whatever you're fearing, God is with you. And he says that she found, oh, he calls her, oh, favored one, and he says that you found favor with God. Now what this literally, this word favor, is the same exact word that, that we translate grace. So what he's saying is that he's, oh, you, God has found gra- is having grace towards you. Sometimes we, people read this and they think Mary's somehow better than everybody. God, Mary must have done some things. She, she's been a really good kid. She grew up in a good home. She had good morals. She, she, she loved God perfectly. Like She's just perfect. She's just perfect, Mary. So God said, I want to send my, my son through the womb of the perfect woman. And sometimes we, we venerate Mary to a point that's uh, unbiblical. And we're like, Mary's just this awesome woman, and she's better than everybody, and she's so holy, she's so set apart, because she's the favored one. It, it's the same word that she gets for, for, uh, uh, from the angel here, grace, is the same word you and I get for, from Jesus. Grace. We are saved by grace. It's the same word, favor, through faith. It's the exact same word in the Greek. So what is going on here is that God is not looking upon Mary and going, hey, you're so awesome. He's saying, he's looking upon Mary and saying, I'm so awesome. And I'm going to have favor towards you. Not because of you, Mary. Not because anything you've done, said, thought, anything. Whether it be positive or negative. I need you to see this. It's not just because of her good works. It's also not, her, 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 her sin did not deter God either. She is sinful. I need you to see this. Mary is sinful. Just like you. Just like you. Just like me. 
How do we know this? Well, later in, in, in the end of Luke chapter 2, we're going to see she goes to the temple and they're so poor and they don't have money, they, they can't have a, a, a real sacrifice, so they have to get pigeons. They have to get, they have to get the, 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 the lowest end of, of possible um, uh, animals for the sacrifice, and that's the pigeons that they have, these birds, in order to make the, the purification atonement for her sin. She's not sinless. She's sinful. She needs sacrifices just like you and I. And she needs the, her, her son to be born and to be uh, the Messiah and to be the one who takes away the sins of the world just like you and I needed Jesus to take away our sins as well. So it says that she, God has had favor towards her, but he's saying like God has unmerited grace. This is grace, unmerited favor. That's how we define grace is, is God's unmerited favor. You can't earn it. It means you can't lose it. You need to understand this. If you can't earn God's love, you can't earn God's mercy. You can't earn God's grace. Guess what you can't also do? Lose it. It's not yours to, to, to lose. It's his to give. You ever given someone something and they're like, hey, I, uh, I want to give it back. One, you feel real offended, right? Like if someone, you give someone a gift and like, hey, let me give that back to you. Like just saying, if you think that you've outsinned the grace of God, what you've looked at the cross of Christ and said, no, I'm going I'm to take that. I'm going to give that one back. That's offense to God. He's given you grace. He's given you grace. He gives Mary grace. She is saved by grace just like you and I are saved by grace. Through faith alone, which we'll see later, that she is, that's exactly what she has. Mary hasn't earned God's favor. God has simply given it to it. Because she's good? No. But because God is good? Yes. Why has God saved you? Why has God given you grace? Why has God had, had favor on you? But if you have faith in Jesus, he's had a lot of favor on you. Why is that? Why, uh, why has he done that? Because of your upbringing, your background? No, because of his goodness. And if you think it's anything you had to do, you're wrong. Repent of that today. Mary has not earned God's favor, but God has generously given to her favor. Just like you and I have received favor, blessing from God through faith in Jesus Christ. God's favor is lavished upon her. Mary is merely the vessel. Jesus is the Savior. And one day, Mary will worship the one who will be in her womb, Jesus, as her Savior as well, just like you and I do. And this is what the angel tells, that Jesus is the king and he's going to be king forever. He will reign forever. Verse 31, and behold, you, shall, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which Jesus literally means uh, God is salvation. That's what the name means. Uh, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. He's like, okay, Mary, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. That's what he said. Shows up. Mary, you're going to have a son, and you're going to need to name him Jesus. That's what you're going to need to name him. He's going to be Jesus. And uh, that, his name is going to mean salvation. Uh, God is salvation because you need saving, and everyone else needs saving. And that messenger, or I mean, that, 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 that Messiah is going to come through your womb, Mary. That's what's going to happen. We all need saving from sin, and that's what's going to happen. God has chosen you for this. And he's also said that, that, that Jesus is going to be God. This is literally what it means. This is God incarnate. The, the title, Son of the Most High, is, is not just a messianic title. This is literally a title for God that goes all the way back to Genesis 14. This is a God title. This is equivalent to the I Am titles that Jesus uh, claims later about uh, being equal to Yahweh. He is saying that, hey, Mary, and Mary would have known this, young Jewish girl. Um, she would have known, like, oh, so the, the baby I'm going to have in my womb is not just going to be a son, but he's going to be God. 
So you're asking me to raise God is what you're saying. Like that's, the, that's what the angel is telling you. So just imagine you're married, young teenage girl and going, okay, you're going to be a parent. Awesome. Uh, that's news to me. Like I have not slept with my husband yet. Uh, how is that going to be possible? Also, um, he's going to be God. That's who you're going to raise. You're going to raise God. I want us to see that this is God's design, the divine assignment to Mary that she's going to be a mom. She's going to be a mom. She's going to be a mom. And I want ladies in here. I always talk to the men, and, I'm, and I will always, uh, but ladies, this one's for you. If you're, especially if you're a mom in here. God has given you a divine assignment to be a mom. To be a mom. He looked upon you like he looked upon Mary and said, I'm going to have favor towards you and grace towards you, and I'm going to give you children to mother if you have them. And so now think about this. Now, Mary, teen Mary, what about her dreams? Think about this. Just think about it in our modern context. Teen Mary, she's a teen mom. She's, what about her dreams? What about her career path? What about all the things she wanted to do in her future? What about feminism and, and, and the fact that she's supposed to see motherhood as a side effect of, of, of everything and not a divine calling? What about all that? What about all that? Ladies, you live in a world today that tells you that there's something better for you than being a mother. Now, if you're not able to have kids and you don't have kids yet, what I'm not telling you is that you are lesser than. But what I am saying is the world tells moms that if you want to be a mom and that's what you want to do, you want to stay home, you want to raise your kids, you are lesser than. 100% our world tells women that. That's what they, this is what the world tells us. And I just want you to think about this because I get it. Motherhood's hard. And uh, imagine, like, being poor and living in this town and not having resources. Like, she, it was going to be extremely hard. Like, she was going to give birth to a baby, and she didn't have a bed. She put him in a, you know, horse trough. Like, just want you to, like, where the, where the, where the cows eat out of. Like, that's the bed for Jesus. And, and, and I want you to see that, that, that while motherhood is hard, so many women, it, it, because they've been bought into the lies of culture, they believe that they can't even believe that being a mom is a noble thing or an honorable thing or an awesome thing. They, 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 many women in our day and age think that it's, it's your, uh, uh, being a mother is just a happenstance or, or, an, or, or the consequence of, of a felt, uh, uh, failed planning. So we have like a whole parenthood section that, that kind of removes that. It's a failure in and of itself. Planned Parenthood. And the world tells the mother that if you want to stay home and raise the child, you're selling yourself short. I need you to see, ladies, the most important role that you have. This is going to be controversial, but it's okay. First and most important role is that you're a Christian. That shouldn't be controversial. Second, if you're married, a wife. Third, mother. In that order. Don't get those confused. Don't mix those up. Don't let the world tell you that, that, that that's less than. Your primary, ladies, if you're a mom, your primary God-given assignment is to be a Christian, then a wife, and then a mother. I want you to see this. So this is what the, the angel is telling Mary. She's tell, and then some of you are like, well, what happens? Sounds like short end of the stick based on our cultural standards. Well, let me tell you about her sons that she raised. First one, Jesus, the Savior of humanity. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Like, just think about it. Ladies, you're like, oh, if someone tells you, like, if you're just being a, you're, you're just being a mom, staying home, raising your kids, and, and, like, the result is, well, 
I got one son who died for sinners. What do you got? Cool. You got some savings? That's great. A little extra spending money? Awesome. My son owns it all. Like, that's what I produced. Uh, by the grace of God, not, I'm not saying, like, Mary did it all herself. Like, it was, it was it, you know, right? But then her, her other two sons, she had two other sons. One was named Jude. He wrote a book of the Bible called Jude. He was a fiery guy. He said that he wanted to contend and fight for the faith. Uh, and then he had a, she, she had another son. His name was James. He wrote another book of the Bible, and one is the pastors, and one is the, the lead pastors of the early church in Jerusalem. Like, okay. Yeah, all I did was stay home and raise my kids. And you know what they did? They changed the world. Mothers, that is your call. I want you to see that. Stop thinking that you're going to change the world in in other ways. And maybe you will. But the primary way in which you are going to change the world is through the raising of your children. Teaching them to know, love, trust Jesus. Not just at a surface level, but as a deep, abiding relationship with the Lord God. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest English preachers of all time, account, or, 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 recounts his dad was a pastor, but he says the, the reason why he came to faith was God used his mother. She pleaded with him over and over and over to believe and be saved because his father was often off doing ministry assignments and his mother was home with him often, working at home, loving him, raising him and the other children and pleading with him to become a Christian. And he does. And what does God do with him? He becomes the greatest preacher, perhaps in the English language. See, you don't know what God's going to do and how he's going to raise up your children. Just like Mary didn't know that other than Jesus, so Mary did know about Jesus, but she didn't know what James and, and Jude would turn out to be like. But she chose her divine assignment. She agreed with the angel and said, you know what? I'm going to put myself forward and do this thing that you've called me to. And I'm not going to see myself as lesser than, but I'm going to just step forward and do what God has, has called me to. See, Satan knows this. Satan knows this about you ladies. The feminist movement knows this about you ladies. The progressive movement knows this, but does not want you to know it. Doesn't want you to cling to it. Doesn't want you to trust in it. Doesn't want you to believe in it. Doesn't want you to walk in it. Satan knows that the seed of Eve, who would be Jesus Christ, would crush his head. Satan also knows that if, if godly women would raise up godly kids, that they would be, there'd be more serpent crushers in this world, and he would get the, his head beat in all day long by the pounding of the sound of, of men and women, young generation of Christians not bowing their knee to the cultural idols, but heralding the name of Jesus in word and deed and thought and action, full devoted worship. Satan trembles at that. So he says, stay at home, moms. Y'all are missing out. You're less than. Oh, you, you, you forsook a career, a degree? Shame on you. Praise be to God that he takes away our shame. We saw that last week. I'm not saying women cannot work outside of the home. What I am saying is that your first and foremost ministry priority, moms, is to your children. And it's an awesome, divine assignment. And I hope you'd find great encouragement and I'll say this, I may get in trouble for this, but really, to hell with the world that would tell you anything other. The angel says this, and he comes from the throne of God. He tells us last week he was standing in the presence of God. 
and he came down to tell Mary this. And some of us read this and we go, okay, well, Mary was special. God, Jesus is different. My son, my daughter is not Jesus. You're right, they're not. Thank, praise be to God, there's only one Savior. But I need you to see, God opens the womb. You didn't get lucky. God opened the womb. God gave you that child. And so in the same way the messenger comes down and tells you, Mary, God's going to do this. God, if God has given you a child, he's given you the same assignment to raise up a generation of, of, of young children who would believe early and, and believe forever. And just like Jesus is the king forever, he says it this way, that the throne, that Jesus will have a throne and he will be a king and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, there will be no end. What we are raising is generation and generation of, of king's kids. We're king's kids and we want to raise generations that also know, love, and worship this savior, King Jesus. And it says that he is king. He was not born to be a king. He was born actually king. And he reigns, it says, from the womb. He's reigning. And he will, it says that he will reign now and forevermore. And always, Jesus will reign. So but Mary's being told, the one in your womb is going to be the king, and he's going to reign. You're going to worship him. With that being said, I need uh, us to see that Jesus is king. The question is, do you worship him as king? Is he your king? Like we live in a world, right? You understand this. Not my president, hashtag. Every generation has someone that they've said that to. You're all guilty of it. Like everyone has said that somewhere in their heart. You've been like, no, that's not my president. Well, guess what? Is Jesus your king? Hashtag is Jesus your king. Like is he your king? Like he is king regardless of what you think. Just like, you know, whatever president is in office right now is president regardless of what you think. Right? And that'll, that statement will be true no matter when you hear this message. No matter what you think, like, Jesus is king. The question is not, is he king? The question is, do you worship him as king? Do you submit to him as king? Do you love him as king? Do you worship him as king? Is he your king? Is he the center of your life? Do you love him, serve him, worship him as king? Next, what we see is that Mary is going to be told that she is going to conceive this child by way of the Holy Spirit. It's what uh, the great catechism or the great uh, Apostles' Creed, which is an ancient church statement of faith, says that, uh, that she was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit and he was born of the Virgin Mary. And he, she says it this way, the angel. Mary said to the angel, well, Mary responds to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Good question, right? Great question. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. See, Mary doesn't have unbelief right here. I want you to see this. She's not questioning the angel in unbelief. She's, she's doing what uh, the, the early church father, uh, Anselm of Canterbury, would say is uh, faith-seeking understanding. She's like, okay, I believe you, but how is this going to happen? Like, I believe everything you just said. Like, okay, I'm going to have this child. He's going to be the king and savior, Lord, Messiah. Like, I get it. But how is this going to happen? How is it going to happen? So she, she, she has faith. And so I want you to know that uh, it's important to have faith and to seek understanding. Some of you have questions about Jesus. You have questions about Christianity. Not everything adds up in your mind, but you have faith. And so in faith, you ask questions for understanding. There's a difference between asking questions for understanding than asking questions for accusation. Y'all know the difference. 
Mary is just wanting to understand. And so why is it important that she would be conceived, or he, Jesus would be conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? Why is that important? Number one, it's important because God said it would happen, meaning if it didn't happen, we have big issues, right? Big issues. If God said something and he didn't do it, he'd be called what we call a liar. Uh, but he's not. Um, the second reason why it's important that we understand that, that, that Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary is because of this. See, sin, we're told, throughout the Scripture comes through who? Adam. Our first father, Adam. So every single human, we're all descendants of Adam. Everyone in here is descendants of the seed of Adam. But we're told that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. See, Jesus comes not through the lineage of Adam biologically. He's conceived of the Holy Spirit. God said it would happen. It did happen. So sin comes through Adam, meaning every one of us are sinners by nature, meaning we inherited our sin nature from Adam, and we're sinners by choice, meaning we continually follow in his, in his, his disorder and his uh, rebellion. So in order for Jesus to be born sinless, yet have sinful man's flesh, he needed to be born without a sin nature. How would he be born without a sin nature? He had to be born conceived of the Holy Spirit and birthed through the, he put on flesh and blood and body like a sinful human being. So he had sinful flesh, but he remained sinless in that, in that he continued his life outside the womb to obey perfectly, where we are sinners by nature, meaning we inherited that from Adam, and then we are sinners by choice, meaning we willfully continue to sin. Jesus was not born with a sin nature, and he continued by choice to live sinlessly in our place. This is important. So if not, then uh, Jesus dying on the cross for other sinners and he himself is a sinner is not a perfect sacrifice. See, Jesus therefore had the opportunity in the flesh to sin, but he did not. Because the reason why he was born was not to just be born and have a cool story, like born of a virgin, really cool. The reason why he was born of a virgin and, and born um, uh, of the, conceived of the Holy Spirit is so that he would be sinless and so that he could put forth uh, the sin atoning sacrifice to save sinners. That's the purpose of, purpose of Jesus' birth, to save sinners, to bring about salvation. That's what his name means. And so that was the purpose of Jesus' life and Jesus is, is, the, is his death. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, that Jesus came. He lived in our place, died in our place, rose from the dead. The reason being is because he's the God of the impossible. Verse 36, God of the impossible. He says this, Behold your relative Elizabeth, we met last week, in her old age will also conceive a son. And this, and this is the sixth month of her who was called barren. Remember last week, five months, she was silent. Now, a month later, the angel shows up, speaks to Mary, says, hey, your cousin Elizabeth, she's pregnant, and she wasn't able to have kids. And he says this, for nothing will be impossible with God. Here's the reality. See, God can take a barren woman like Elizabeth and, and, and help her have a child, cause her to open up her womb. And then God can take a virgin and give her a child. We, that's her name's Mary. And God can take someone without an education or background or, or from a small town and, and, and call her to raise the Savior. See, we serve the God who is the God of the impossible. Ladies, motherhood is impossible. Praise be to God, we, have, we serve the God of the impossible. Men, fatherhood is impossible. Praise be to God, we serve the God of the impossible. Hey, Financial situation out there might feel impossible. Praise be to God, we serve the God of the impossible. Your, 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 your uh, 
economic status might feel like you're stuck in a, in, in a cul-de-sac of the impossible. Well, we believe and we trust and we know the God of the impossible. Some of you feel like God can't forgive you for your sin of your past because of how deep and how, how dark it is. But praise be to God, we serve the God of the impossible. What situation, what circumstance, what are you going through right now that feels impossible. Maybe there's someone you've been trying to share Jesus with and, and they don't want to believe. And maybe that was your story. Like you, someone wanted you to become a Christian to, and to know Jesus and you refused to believe for years and years and years and years and years and years and now you're a Christian. Why? Because we serve the God of the impossible. Some of you feel like it's impossible to proceed forward in your current circumstance. Be encouraged. We serve the God of the impossible. What seems impossible in your life? It might be impossible with you, but with God, all things are possible, is what he's saying. It's one thing I want us to see to intellectually agree with that. It's another thing to, to respond in faith. And that's what we see Mary do. She believes that. She says, yes, I agree to the God of the impossible. And therefore, Mary is an example of faith. That's what we see here. It says this, verse 38, um, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your will. And the angel departed from her. What she says is, I hear everything you're saying. It sounds impossible. In fact, it is impossible. But I believe, I trust the God of the impossible. She simply believes. She simply has faith. She has questions going, hey, I believe. I, I, I need some understanding here. Angel give her, gives her some understanding. She goes, okay, I believe. And she says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. She surrenders and she serves. Like, I want you to think about this. She's like, okay, not my plan. Did not plan to be a teen mom. Didn't plan to have a child before Joseph and I got officially married. Didn't plan. Uh, I, we kind of had this honeymoon plan. Did, that's not going to work out. Uh, I don't know if we're going to be able to afford this now. Like, I, and, I, I, my plans are kind of messed up. My plans, and she's going to understand that no one's going to believe that the angel showed. Just imagine this: like, ladies, like, the angel shows up and tells you, like, "Hey, you're going to be a virgin. You're going to have a child." And like, everyone uh, is going to see her in her little podunk small town, right, and know that, oh, she must be lying because virgins can't have kids. Like, she understands the effects of all of this that's going to happen in her life because God showed up and had a different plan for her life. But see, instead of resisting God's plan, she surrenders to it. Instead of resisting, she surrenders and she submits to God's plan willfully. Behold, I am your servant. Let it be according to your word. Let it be. I serve at the pleasure of you, Lord, she says. Let it be. You want me to be a mo the mother to Jesus? I'll be the mother to Jesus. What do you want? That's what I want. And that should be the heart of the Christian. We shouldn't just be... Uh, folks who have faith and just like, God, I trust you for saving me. I trust Jesus as person to work to save me from my sins, but I also trust you for your plans for my life. How many of you, the plan for your life and God's plan are we're not the same and you're not living, you're living in God's plan? How many of you, through faith now, believe that, no, oh, wow, God's plan was better? Amen. Some of you might be going, I don't know. And this is where you'll struggle. The Christian who won't submit to God's plan willfully will become miserable. The Christian who, have, who embraces the hardship of maybe the lot that maybe even God gives you will still have a greater pleasure, joy in this life. 
and in the life to come. See, the essence of what it means to be a Christian is yes, to have faith in the Lord Jesus, his person, his work for salvation, but also to trust his plan. The fullness and flourishing of the Christian life is, 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 is impacted by one's ability to surrender and submit to God's plans, God's hopes, God's dreams, and, God, and actually believe that what he has for you is better than what you have for yourself. By the way, some of you might think of the opposite. You might hear God's plan for you, and you're like, Mary, you might hear the plan. You go, that doesn't sound like a better plan than what I had planned. Like, my plan was to get a job, do this, do this, have this much money, and all of a sudden, it was going to be better. And God showed up and said, nope, not my plan. And you're looking at his plan on paper, and you're going, that doesn't sound like the best plan. Well, let's take her as a, a case study. What were the results of her, of her plan, or God's plan? Savior of the world. Jesus accomplished it. Two sons wrote books of the Bible, changed the world. At the end of her life, she's going, you know what? I did not see that coming. God, I surrendered to God's plan. Some of you are still miserable in this life because you're resisting God's plan for your life. You're resisting God's best for your life. You're like, it doesn't look like the best. That's the whole story of the Bible. Like the cross of Christ doesn't look like the best way. Ah, murdered, beat. Doesn't feel like to, in, our, in our sinful human mind the best way, but it was God's best way. And see, the world will look at God's ways and say they're stupid. You know who's real, the real fool? Anyone who doesn't look at God's way and say that's the best way. That's the real fool. So what Mary has, we see here, is a, a, a real sincere yet simple faith. Mary doesn't have it all, it all figured out. Neither do you. You need to have it all figured out. But the first step is a step of faith. It's a step of saying, okay, God, I'll have it your way. Some of you, that's what you need today. Your step of faith is to say, okay, God, I'll stop doing it my way. I'll start doing it your way. That's what you need the faith for today. Some of you, faith means for you is just, I just trust you, God. I just need to trust you. I don't trust you. I need to trust you. Others, uh, faith, uh, simple faith may look like today is that I agree with you, God. The world, I really have agreed with the world's narrative of what good and flourishing life is. I'm going to exchange that today. I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to agree with you. Some of you, that's what a response of faith, simple faith looks like for you, just simply agreeing with God. Others of you, faith today may look like I give my plans to you, God. I give my life to you, God. I give my future to you, God. And some of you today, you might want to, that God's calling you to give you your life. Become a Christian. Be saved. I give you my life. See, Christianity begins with simple faith, and it's also sustained by simple faith. We need simple faith to believe and trust Jesus for our salvation from our sins, but we need simple faith to continue trusting his plan for us moving forward. It's better than your plan. He actually says that his ways, the scripture says, that God's ways are better than your ways. God's thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He says, as the earth the ground is from the heavens, the sky. That's how much bigger God's ways and better God's ways are than yours. Every time for this week, every time you're driving, you're struggling to believe that God's ways are better for you, look at the ground in front of you, then look up at the sky and go, his ways are way better. I can't even understand how high that is. That's how much higher, how much better God's plans are for your life. We believe that. We trust that. We cling to that. And so some of you today, if you're a Christian, you need, you need faith today to trust God's plan. Others of you, if you're not a Christian, you need faith to have your sins forgiven, to believe in Jesus, 
to see that Jesus is the one who's died in the place of sinners. See that Jesus is the one who sets you free from sin and captivity. And you see that Jesus is the one who knew no sin and became sin on your behalf that you might become the righteousness of God. Some of you need faith to believe that. And so what makes this special, what makes Christmas special is, the, is celebrating this birth of this king, the one that's prophesied here it, through the angel to Mary and who would come and who would, who would save. And so what we're going to do today, we're going to end the sermon and we're going to, here in a moment, we're going to sing a few songs and then after the, the, we sing songs and the announcements, we're going to go outside and we're going to celebrate new life, faith, uh, obedience to Jesus through baptisms. And it's going to be an awesome day of celebration. What I want to do is explain real quick what baptism is, uh, symbolizes. It points to Jesus' work his, in his, in his, his, on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. So what we do with baptism is we put the individual down in the water so they identify with the death of Jesus. So when we look at Jesus dying in the place for our sins, we say, my sin, my Savior, he died for me, he was buried. So when Jesus was buried, so I was buried in my sins. And so you raise the person up out of the water to symbolize and to commemorate and, and show that they identify with the, the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus did not stay in the ground, but he rose victorious from the grave. And so if you're a if you're Christian today and you have not been baptized, we have clothes, we have stuff for you. If you want to be baptized today, if God is calling you to take that step of faith, other than that, those who are going to be baptized today, I want you to take communion uh, and then you can go get ready for that. But what we're about to do, church family, if you are a, a Christian, you know, love and trust Jesus, and you believe in the Virgin Mary, you believe that uh, Jesus was conceived of the Vir uh, Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, you believe that he was sinless Savior, died in your place for your sins, he rose from the dead victorious, what we're going to do is we're going to take communion together, a great feast to celebrate and commemorate the resurrected Jesus Christ. And so if you're not a Christian, we ask you to abstain. What I'm going to do is ask the, the team to come forward while I pray. And then after I'm done praying, you can exit forward. There will be bread and there will be wine and juice. Uh, you can come and take it whenever you are ready. If you're a Christian, celebrate. If you're, a, if you're not a Christian, watch. If you want to become a Christian today, uh, go visit the prayer team in the back and they'll help you on your next steps. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your, what you've done in our lives in this church. We thank you for the new life we get to celebrate in baptism. We thank you also, Lord Jesus, that um, you came to rescue us, that you are God with us, and so that you have overcome Satan, sin, death, and the grave, and we celebrate that. We remember that today through the eating of the bread, the drinking of the cup, also through celebrating baptism. I ask that uh, anywhere in our heart that we are lacking faith, you would grant us faith. We help us to see that you have favor on us, just like you have favor on Mary, that you have grace towards us. And we cannot sin the mercy and grace of Jesus. And so may we trust you, Jesus, entirely for your plan for our life. May we love you and worship you with our heart, mind, and strength. Bless us now as we respond. In Jesus' name, amen.